In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Here we are, once again. It's strange, isn't it? Sitting in the dark at the annual Friday afternoon funeral. Year after year, Christians gather on Good Friday to listen to the story. On Palm Sunday, we read versions from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. On Good Friday, it has always been from John. Each gospel offers a slightly different view of what happened on that day nearly 2,000 years ago. It's like looking at a crystal in the sunlight from different angles, watching the sun shine through and the different sparkles, different ways the light plays each time it is turned. Jesus, the light, our souls, the crystal. For John, Jesus is light, and his light is the life of the world. We call it Good Friday, even though it looks as if the light is extinguished. As people of faith, we know that is just not the case. We know the rest of the story. We know that the darkness has not overcome the light. Even so, we know some things about darkness in today's world. We see it from far off. We see it up close and personal from the tragedy of the genocides of the Rohingya in Myanmar, Syria, and South Sudan. The Oromo-Somali clashes in Ethiopia. We see the darkness in friends and family members who suffer from diseases like cancer and Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis. We see it in young men whose lives are so tragically broken that they go on senseless shooting sprees in schools and movie theaters, churches, and shopping malls. There is darkness for those who have lost their jobs. For the child born of a mother addicted to methamphetamines, for those who are experiencing homelessness, the hungry, the destitute, here and around the world. For those who live under oppressive military dictatorship, for the mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and children of God who are incarcerated and on death row, for those who live with HIV-AIDS and those who live with untreated mental illness, we know something about the darkness. Darkness, for John, is evil. Specifically, the evil of living under the military yoke of Rome. Even more so, John and his community 
hold the memory of Jesus standing up to evil, to the imperial powers and the ruling religious authorities. In one of the letters of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., he quotes one of the 20th century's most renowned theologians, Reinhold Niebuhr. And quoting from Niebuhr's book, Moral Men and Immoral Society, Pastor King reminds the white clergy of Birmingham that groups are more immoral than individuals. It has been observed that individuals rarely act immorally or practice bad ethics on their own. Such behavior patterns usually emerge in the actions and the attitudes of a group, however small or large. And it is this group mentality, or to quote the sociologist Eric Fromm, the herd mentality, that drives greater hatred than the individual. Think of the Holocaust, the Ku Klux Klan, Rwanda, Pol Pot, the Inquisition, the expulsion of the Church of the Jews from Spain, the Crusades, and numerous other similar egregious atrocities throughout history. This theory suggests evil always needs help. Evil needs companions. Evil, the devil, does not and cannot act of its own in order to achieve its intended goal. By comparison, goodness or godliness can always stand and act on its own merits. And this is what is going on in this story about Jesus. Evil had just enough companionship to crucify him on that Friday. The collusion and the collaboration between the Roman soldiers, the politicians, the religious authorities already on the payroll of Rome, and the usual crowd of rubberneckers always looking for a gory sight to behold was just enough to put him on the cross and let him hang there for all to see what the consequences may be for those who choose to act out of goodness and godliness to speak truth to power. John's passion has so many unique details. Jesus sends Jesus out from the Last Supper. Jesus is not identified by Judas' kiss, but he steps forward and he announces, I am he. Jesus is not silent before Pilate. Of course, he speaks to him, and he carries his own cross, and he doesn't stumble, and he doesn't fall. But is there any more tender and yet more powerful a moment than when Jesus, already nailed to the cross, as his very last act of divine charity, gives up his spirit, or as we used to say, handed over his spirit. 
It is that giving up that compels us to pay attention to this story every year, year in and year out. In both Hebrew and in Greek, there's just one word that means spirit and breath and wind. And all three are understood to come from God. God's breath is our breath. God's spirit is what sustains our life. And God's wind fills our sails and directs us and sends us places we would never imagine going ourselves to do things we would never imagine doing. Here in his final act of charity toward humankind, Jesus gives up his spirit. He hands it over. He offers us his spirit, the very spirit of God. Jesus doesn't give in to herd mentality. He does not give in to group evil. He remains steadfast in speaking truth to power, just like Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Rosa Parks, Malala Yousafzai. Just like so many individuals throughout human history who have made a difference, the story we heard together today is drenched in meaning and love. And today we're told the choice is ours. Always has been, always will be. Evil is always looking for companions. Evil is always looking for help. And the choice to side with evil, it is often attractive. There's always something that appears to be in it for us. Even if it's just the cheap thrill of watching someone else suffer. The other choice of course, is to stand up to evil, to stand our ground, not to give in to the group, to speak truth to power, or to simply walk away and say, I will not participate in that. The world is a dangerous place. There is no limit, however, to how much goodness and godliness even one person can give to the world. And if there is one moment to remember from this story of John's, it is that final moment when Jesus bows his head and gives up his spirit. That moment when God's passion becomes our passion. Jesus gives it to us. Jesus is still giving it to us. The man who healed people, helped people, fed people, gave outsiders dignity and welcomed all to sit at his table and share a meal. He gives his spirit to us. 
And the question that resides so deeply in these rites and these rituals that we do today and every year is, will we accept his spirit? Will we take God's spirit and make it our own? Will we set our sails to capture God's divine wind, breath, and spirit and allow it to direct us to places we have never been to do things we have never done. The world needs God's spirit. The world needs our spirit. The church needs our spirit, and we can accept God's spirit, which God gives away, which is given for the world, not just for the Christians, not just for the believers, but for the whole world. And we can do something beautiful and wonderful with our lives that bears so much fruit. The world needs us. The church needs us. God needs us. And we need each other. Our choice must be to accept the spirit of goodness and godliness that spirit of God's divine charity, and make it our own. We must allow God's passion to become our passion. I bid you a sacred Friday today, a good Friday, a day where we can be encouraged to stand up for what is right, come what may. And on Sunday, perhaps we can reflect on that moment when a person dares to elevate mind and heart and spirit beyond the tribe and become the change he or she wants to see in the world, rising above those who seek an awakening for their own comfort and their own gain. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we can all do.